0: How have you experienced courage in your recovery? Which steps required courage of you? And how has recovery given you courage to change the things you can? Welcome to episode 220 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Matthew. He used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Matthew, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of Alcoholics and Addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at the Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and joining me today is Michelle. Welcome to The Recovery Show, Michelle.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. You
0: have a reading that you've picked for us on the topic of courage.
1: Yeah, actually, I think I have two. So I'm going to start with the one from Hope for Today on October 20th, which is page 294. In my first Al-Anon meeting, I listened intently to other people share. One woman spoke of feeling as if she were in a dark and lonely place, like the bottom of a well. The tools of the program helped her see the light at the top of the well, but it was still going to be a tough job scaling the walls to get out. After a time, I came to understand through reading Al-Anon literature, listening to other members, and practicing the slogan, Steps and Traditions in My Personal Life, that I could begin to climb out of my own well. Little by little, I stopped focusing on the alcoholic's problems and started concentrating on my own. I found that facing my responsibilities meant developing the ability to choose my responses to my problems. To be responsible for myself meant keeping the focus on myself and not letting fear become a motivator for my actions, even when my fear felt huge. The strength I needed to climb out of my well had to come from my own self-respect. Without it, I didn't have the courage to scale those walls. Because my self-esteem was so low, I didn't think I had any courage. However, my sponsor told me that I had a great deal of courage. She told me that by taking the risk to walk through the doors of Al-Anon, I had already taken responsibility for my self-esteem thought for the day. Fear is a feeling, not an action. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's choosing to act with love in spite of the fear. If my fear had simply been removed, I might never have known that I was capable of acting on my own behalf. My second reading is going to be from Courage to Change, August 6, which is page 219. I dreamt that I was trapped in a burning room. Thick smoke filled the air and the only exit door was blocked by fire. As I gasped for breath, a hand appeared behind the flames beckoning me to come. I knew that freedom, light, and air were on the other side of that door, and that certain death awaited me if I remained. Still, I hesitated. How could I walk through the fire? Sometimes I feel the same way about the challenges I face in my waking life. Even when my position is hopeless and my higher power beckons, urging me to take a risk, I still hesitate, hoping for a miracle. I forget that the miracle is already here. Today, thanks to Alanon, I have a higher power who is always there for me helping me to cope with my fears and find new, effective solutions to my problems. Thus, I am taken beyond the problems that once held me hostage. I am free to act or not to act, or to take a chance, to hold off on a decision, to make choices that feel right. Today's reminder, it takes courage to step beyond what is comfortable, predictable, and known. Courage is a gift for my higher power that I find in the rims of al and in the hearts of its members. And then the quote from Martin Luther King says, courage faces fear and thereby masters it.
0: Thank you. Those are both great readings. I thought of this theme because we use the the word courage shows up in a lot of places, although apparently there aren't a whole lot of readings that are actually about it. We got the book titled Courage to Change, and every meeting I go to, at least, opens with the serenity prayer, which includes the line, the courage to change the things I can, which leads then to... My first question, which is what does the word courage mean to you and how maybe has that understanding changed uh, as you've been working a program of recovery?
1: What I liked about those two readings is that the, the visual was really sort of how I felt when I first came, you know, in dealing with my alcoholic situation is that, you know, trapped at the bottom of a well or trapped in a burning room, you know, and feeling like I really didn't know how to get out. And that made step one and two pretty easy for me, you know, admitting that I was powerless and that a power greater than myself could, could help me because in those two images, you know, I, I obviously couldn't do it alone, but I think I always thought of courage as being an active word, you know, actively scaling the well or actively getting out of the fire that it was something, you know, it's a, it's a strength. It's a um, very physical word, but what I'm finding more often, at least for me today, is that it's the courage to, to not do, you know, it's the courage to not take an action, to be inactive. I've been praying a lot for guidance from my higher power, like I do every day. And the message I did is wait, patience. And that takes courage, because my anxiety and my fear would t- want me to jump. It would want me to, to take an action. And, and God is telling me to have the courage to wait and to be uncomfortable and that's what the second reading from Courage to Change talks about is, you know, I'm free to act or not to act, to take a chance or to hold off on a decision and to make the choices that feel right for me. So it's, it's interesting that courage has gone from strictly an action word to very often, since I was such an action-oriented person when I came in, you know, right from awareness to being uncomfortable to action to fix it, that a lot of my courage lives in the acceptance and in the sitting with my feelings and accepting things as they are before immediately trying to take an action and change it.
0: That's interesting. I am reminded of something I I have heard a few times now. We talk about reaction to a threat with the fight or flight syndrome. Mm -hmm. But I've been reminded that there are actually three possible responses to threat if you look like it, certainly at the animal kingdom. And, and I see this in myself, there's fight, there's flight and there's freeze. Mm-hmm. And so what I heard in what you were saying was that where the courage is coming in, in that situation is in being okay with not going with your reaction. So if your reaction is freeze, then it takes courage to actually do something. If your reaction is, I I either have to run away or fight, it takes courage to not do. Right. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's interesting. I often say that fear is my litmus test for what direction I need to go. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, because I can use, I'm, I'm pretty clever, I can use the tools to justify any of my bad behavior and call it program. But I really look at, yeah, I really look at what is my fear is my fear that if I don't make this phone call, I'm going to lose that client. And so then I'm going to do it. Well, if that's the direction of fear, I need to have the courage to, to put down the phone and walk away. But if the fear is, I don't want to pick up the phone, I'm afraid there's going to be a conflict, I'm afraid there's going to be a fight, then I need to call and that it isn't as black as white as I thought the program was in the beginning for me and, and probably needed to be simple. Now it's more you know, they say that that courage is fear that has said its prayers. Mm -hmm. So I look at what's my fear is my fear the action or is my fear the inaction? And then I move into that I move towards the fear, instead of away from it.
0: So hard. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why we're talking about it. Right. So I wonder if you can think to some moments sometimes when you face the fear.
1: Right? Well, I use the example of business have lots of lots of good fears, you know, and fear of financial insecurity is one of them. Because of that, I like to kind of grab my my own business by the horns and try to direct it where it needs to go. And often against the better counsel of business and marketing professionals, my higher power tells me not to, you know, I have to sit with the idea that I may close up my shop next week, I have to sit with the idea that ultimately God's in charge of my financial state. And that's led me to face that fear and to not take a lot of actions towards advertising and marketing and pushing and promoting that quote, good business sense would tell me to do because my motive is impure in those. My motive is to try to control. And so instead God is telling me to, to sit and to wait and let the business come to me or not, but either way going to be okay.
0: Yeah. My, my fear of financial insecurity goes the other direction that, my income's pretty stable, and the question is, well, how much do I spend, right? Mm. And when I'm in that fear state, I do the freeze thing. I don't look, right? I'm like, well, okay, got to buy groceries. Let's see what happens. You know? <laughs> do, do I get that text from the bank that says the balance is low or not?
2: <laughs>
0: That's a fear place to be, and and it's a fear place that actually engenders more fear because it's like, okay, I'm gonna do this thing, now what's gonna happen? Now and then I'll have to wait. Sometimes the transaction goes through right away and sometimes it sometimes it goes through at midnight. <laughs> and my phone goes Bzzz, in the middle of the night. And I'm like, ah, what was that? And this is this is this is a work of progress for me, right? I, I, if I actually keep track of of what's in the what's in the bank, then I can be concerned when it's too low but I don't have that fear of that sudden response. And once I know it's too low, then it's like, okay, my phone's going to buzz when I, when I swipe my card here at the coffee shop yeah. and I know it's coming and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's still, sometimes it happens at midnight, which is really annoying.
1: Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of step four, you know, and my sponsor has encouraged me to take a search, Eat fearless, moral inventory, but an inventory of all of my affairs, you know, keeping track of my money and keeping track of, you know, the state of my relationships and, and really being, honest with myself and with another person and God about the state of my business. Because at least if I have information, it's like, I think one of the readings, I'm not sure where it is, but it talks about you look into the closet and it's dark and it looks like there's something scary and there's a monster in the back. I think it's one of the fourth step readings, but we turn the light on and it's just a broom, you know, and a dustpan. It's like by shining a light on my situation, it's, it suddenly is not as scary and it's more manageable, but I have to take the courageous step of like being willing to turn the light on and trusting that I'm going to be okay. Whatever's on the other side.
0: Right. That's, that's the courage. What about things that you've done in the program that were like new and weird and you weren't sure Mm -hmm. how it was going to happen or how you were going to get through it or how you would even do it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at some of the readings, and and as I mentioned to you before, that there weren't a lot, but some of them do talk about, you know, the courage to share in meetings, and that wasn't my experience. I usually don't have a problem talking about myself and my problems. (laughs) I think the courage for me came in when I had to do, you know, four, four through nine, I suppose, really looking at my part, talking about it, fifth stepping with someone, that was hard. And trusting that 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 person, my sponsor, wasn't going to reject me when I did air all my dirty laundry. That took a lot of courage.
0: How did you find that? What gave you the courage to do that?
1: Yeah, I think it was that she and I had developed a relationship over the months as we were working the first few steps, and she was helping me through, you know, a separation from my, my qualifier. I felt a lot of that unconditional love and respect that. I soon came to associate with, you know, the program and again, with a higher power, eventually, you know, unconditional love and acceptance. I felt willing to, to air that because I knew it was a burden I had to let go. And then just like turning the light on in the closet, I shared all of these horrible things I felt like I'd been carrying and things I had said and done or not said or not done, you know, and she just looked at me and she said, you know, me too. (laughs) And that really like, wow, you know, I mean, kind of just, you know, like deflates, and that was that acceptance that gave me the courage to to work towards the amends steps, which were hard. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that my sponsor gave me the opportunity to make a lot of my amends via text and email. Now I have a sponsor who encourages me to make amends in the manner at which the offense was given, which means often in person. If I say something over the phone, and that's a lot harder. But in the beginning. I had permission to just put it out there in whatever form I could. And if that meant I have to just send a text and turn my phone off, I could do that. I couldn't have actually talked to the person and made the amends, but I could do that much. And you know what happened when I made amends? I would say across the board, either A, I didn't ever hear back from the person, (laughs) or B, they said, I don't know what you're talking about out but have a great day you know it it felt so scary to do it Mm -hmm. but you know i was developing a trust in my sponsor and a trust in the program and that soon became a trust in god each step after that became a lot easier it's like that scene in indiana jones you know where he has to cross the the cliff in the third one and he can't see the bridge Mm -hmm. and he takes that step that free fall into space and then realizes oh there's just a bridge here that's no big
0: deal. It's an invisible bridge, but it's here.
1: Invisible. Yeah. It's just that first step, right?
0: Yeah. So I'm also hearing the word trust and, and I'm feeling that trust, trusting your sponsor, trust in a higher power, trust in the process, maybe mm-hmm. can help you to get that courage to take that first step onto that invisible bridge.
1: Yeah. And I would call it, you know, trust is a great word. I I would actually call it faith because I've heard it said in meetings that fear and faith can't exist at the same time. If I'm in faith that things are going to be okay, that I'm going to be taken care of, that the wheels aren't going to fall off, then there really isn't an opportunity for me to feel fear. And that was something that, you know, I've built up a strong faith just through, repository of spiritual experiences. All the times I've had to make a phone call or walk into a meeting or, you know, I invite my higher power along with me. You know, I I bookend it with my sponsor. I'll call before I'll call after my sponsor says, pray before God's words, not yours, invite your higher power into that space with you. It is always okay. I'm always better for the experience. And that makes it a lot easier for me to take bigger steps, which is what my program has been today. More recently is, is doing a lot more bigger growth steps. And that's because I have all of the faith of the little steps I took up into this point.
0: Yeah, that is so true. I'm actually reminded of an example that I saw earlier today. I'm working with the seventh grade youth at my church. There's one person in the class started out kind of quiet. The way in which this person maybe working through their, their, their fear and their courage is they'll put out a little bit about themselves and just let it sit and see how people respond. Mm -hmm. And then when they don't get a negative response, then maybe the next time they'll put out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I saw that today where we were, we were playing the game, two truths and a lie. Where, you know, you're supposed to say two things that are true about yourself and one thing that's not. And then the rest of the group's supposed to guess which is which. And it's a, a group forming activity. You get to learn a little bit about people and, and see how much you know about them. So this person very straightforwardly said, I'm gay. Hmm. And I have a dog and something else I forget. That was one of the truths, but it, that was another hmm. step. Like, I'm going to put this out wow. there and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing was it wasn't tentative. It was just like, boom, here it is. This is something about me that you may not know. And let's see how it comes back. And, you know, with that group of kids, there was there was almost no response. <laughs> I think one of the kids <laughs> said, oh, I think that's the lie. But it wasn't like, oh, I think that's the lie because there's no way. Right. That's the, the little steps, right? You take the little steps. And every mm-hmm. time you take the little step and the bridge is still there, you know, you can take a ne- mm-hmm. little bit bigger step the next time. I love that picture of the bridge, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) So I just saw that today. So that's so wonderful.
1: Yeah. You know, and that reminds me of kind of where my higher power has guided me in my program today. And it it definitely wasn't a big step that I could have taken when I first came into the rooms years ago. But I've had the courage to face and confront a lot of the grief of growing up in an alcoholic home, losing two alcoholic parents, losing a first marriage. You know, that's a lot to carry around. And I had been carrying around Band-Aid on the situation, like enough program to get me by. But it was getting worse. And, and I felt compelled to work the steps a second time with my sponsor around this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. because I felt the courage and the faith to really face it, even though I said, honestly, you know, I've been carrying this grief for so long. I don't know who I am without it. And that's a scary thought.
0: Yeah. The, the courage to do step six and seven.
1: Right. And what I'm finding today, where courage is for me today is the courage to live as your student, you know, live my authentic truth to, for 24 hours at a time. If today I'm feeling this or I'm not feeling that, you know, I've been confronting some ideas about if I drop this grief and I drop codependency, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't want some of the relationships I have, you know, and can I face that? And really just being honest with myself and having the courage to clearly and directly and quietly state my truth. I couldn't have done that in the beginning. You know, in the beginning, it was just survival, but now I really feel like I've moved from surviving into what does thriving look like? What does a life look like? You know, the courage to live my own life exactly as I want it with my authentic truth. That's the bigger stuff I'm tackling today, which is pretty, uh, challenging, we'll say. <laughs> it's out- growth opportunities and recognizing that it's it's only 24, you know, one day at a time, the courage to live one day at a time and not worry about what if this or what if that. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I only have t- that 24 hours and I give this 24 hours to God and I ask for, you know, through the 11th step, which has a courage part built into it, you know, the power to carry it out. That, that's the courage often.
0: That is so much.
1: And really just keeping my, my mind and my body in this present space and whatever unfolds which is like walking across that invisible bridge, blindfolded right backwards. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like most days, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're not going to fall today, maybe tomorrow, but I know I'll be caught on the other side.
0: You said from survival.
1: Yeah. From surviving to thriving.
0: From surviving to thriving. I love that. You know, I triggered on the uh, survival and the, the book survival from survival to recovery. Just thinking about courage, I opened up the index, and there are maybe a dozen references oh. in that book to courage.
1: Oh, I didn't look in that one. I'll have to pull that out next.
0: That's a place to go if you're if you're struggling with finding courage. Maybe that that book from Survival to Recovery looks like it has some wisdom in it. I know it has wisdom in it. I mean, on that topic, <laughs>
1: I appreciate the reminder because in dealing with my my grief and accepting reality exactly as it is in this moment, you know, that book in particular is about grief and processing grief. So I think it's probably a good one for me to pull up.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength and hope and courage.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure.
0: So I was thinking about what the word courage means to me, what it meant to me in the past, what it means to me now, how that might have changed. I think that I always felt that, that courage was being able to do some, some big brave thing, I didn't didn't really ever think consciously, at least, about courage in the context of the little things, and I will have some examples of those. And so now I understand that courage, as the reading said, the courage is not about an absence of fear; it's about working through that fear. As as uh, as Michelle had said, and that courage can be for little things or big things, and it can be also take courage to as as Michelle noted, not do things, to not try to intervene to save a loved one from the consequences of their actions, for example. And I was thinking in particular about moments of courage in my recovery process, you know, the courage to walk into my first meeting, not knowing what I was going to find there, not knowing who I was going to see there, not knowing if it was the right place for me, that took some courage to do that and then to come back the next week and to stay there. When I saw somebody who I knew that I was afraid they would judge me. Um, those are a little bitty courages, but I think the hardest thing often for us in the program is to actually come to the program, the courage to pick up the phone and call another Al-Anon member. That phone is so, so heavy the first time. You make a call, and sometimes the hundredth time. It's like, I don't want to bother this person with my little problem. I I can muddle through here. It's okay. And that's really about fear. And, you know, finding the courage to dial that number, to say hi. To say, hi, this is Spencer, and I'm struggling with something. I'd like to talk to you about it. Hi, this is Spencer. Can we maybe get together and, and talk about program a little bit? Asking somebody to be a sponsor. I did it kind of impulsively. There was a person in the meeting that I initially went to, and that was my home group for many years, who I felt had a lot of program wisdom. And so one day we had a a meeting about sponsorship on the topic of sponsorship, and afterwards I said, Hey, will you be my sponsor? And that just to open my mouth and let those words come out was difficult. It seemed like it was something I needed to do. And so I found a little bit of courage in that moment to do that. That meeting had, after the main meeting, there was a smaller meeting for newcomers to give people a chance to have a little conversation, to ask questions, to say, what, what the heck is this anyway? I don't know why I'm here. I'm not sure what what happens here and how it's going to help me. What's a sponsor? How do I get a sponsor? Those were questions that came up and that concept of asking somebody to work intimately with you on your recovery. There's a lot of uncertainty and fear around that question. Who do I ask? How do I ask? I would try to reassure, I guess, a little bit and say, look, you know, sponsorship is not like marriage. You're not committing to it permanently. If you're really not sure, you can ask somebody to be a temporary sponsor, or you can just ask somebody, can I call you? And getting back to that that phone call thing. Like if I talk to somebody after a meeting and say, hey, can I call you later this week? It's so much easier to pick up the phone and call because I feel like I have permission. So that's you know sort of breaking it down into two smaller steps. One, the courage to ask for permission, and then the courage to actually pick up the phone and call. After a meeting a few weeks ago, I was talking with somebody after the meeting and they said, so how do I go about getting a sponsor anyway? And I said, well, look for somebody who has what you want. Maybe if you're new in the program, maybe look for somebody who has a similar experience to you because they might be able to relate to the things you're facing better than somebody who doesn't have that experience. And if you're not sure, you can ask somebody to be a temporary sponsor. And so then the next question was, well, will you be my temporary sponsor? (laughs) Walked right into that one, didn't I? To which I gladly said yes. Okay, so that's like program stuff that required courage. But then the program also asks us to do new things, to live in new ways. And these can be difficult, and they can, they can require a lot of courage sometimes. The first one that occurred to me is setting a boundary and then holding to it. So first, setting a boundary is uncomfortable for me because I'm generally going to be telling somebody, I don't want you to do this, or if you do this, I will do that. That's uncomfortable. That's confrontation. I don't like confrontation. I'm I'm confrontation averse. Maybe it's just internal, but it's still, then it becomes, then holding the boundary. Let's say my boundary is, I'm not going to go to the grocery store and buy wine for you. If you ask me to purchase alcohol for you, I am not going to do that. And then it comes to holding it. And so it's the middle of the evening, The wine has run out. Alcoholic loved one wants some more and says, will you go buy some for me? Now I have to hold that boundary. And there's fear because if I don't buy it, they might get in the car and drive to the store and God knows what's going to happen then. But if I do buy it, well, I'm not holding my boundary and I'm enabling the behavior. I'm enabling the drinking. So that's difficult. I'm not going to call work and make excuses for you in the morning. Come the morning, can I actually do that? Can I actually hold that boundary? I'm not going to try to solve your problem for you anymore. I'm not going to try to fix your alcoholism for you anymore. And holding that boundary was both easy and hard. It was easy because of all the examples I had where it didn't work anyway. made it easier to not try to do it again, but it was hard because in the downward path, that in my case for my loved one eventually led to a bottom and sobriety, that's a scary place to be. Even if I am really confident that whatever I do is not going to make a difference, it's still hard to not try. And there, there we go. Courage to not do that Michelle was talking about. Courage in the inventory, courage in sharing the inventory in step five admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs, that requires some courage, that requires some trust, some faith, that that person's not going to reject me once I've shared the things that I did that were so horrible. And for me, that took several, actually several times through the fifth step before I think. There's nothing else that I haven't admitted But you never know for sure, I guess. Making amends, wow, going to somebody and say, I did wrong, can be hard. I have not had the, wow, I don't even remember that experience that Michelle talked about. There have also been some where it's like, yeah, you did, you fucked up. You damn well, better be sorry. Not in those exact words, but, you know, that's the feeling. And there were some where it's like, yes, acceptance. Thank you for admitting it. Thank you for understanding that what you did was, was hurtful to me. And thank you for doing your best to make amends, to undo whatever wrong you can undo, or to at least not do it again, which is where many of my amends lead to not doing it again. Finding courage and recovery. I, I really think that it came back to this building up faith and trust, understanding that even when I make a decision, even when I take an action, that the result may not be what I wanted, but that I have always been okay. And that makes it easier to do those difficult things. I might still fear fear that the outcome is not going to be what I want, but at least I don't add to that fear by fearing that, and also I'm going to be destroyed because that, that hasn't happened. And I, and, and I have faith that it, that I will be okay. I had a couple of contributions from listeners. On this topic also, we have a voicemail from Allie.
2: Hi, Spencer. This is Allie from New York. I'm calling in regards to the courage topic. I mean, wow, I feel like courage is something that's needed for me every minute of the day. Between having the courage to do the work that I'm doing to have the confidence in the quality of the work that I'm producing and, you know, being courageous enough to feel proud of what I'm doing and the work product I'm creating. And also, I found that this past month while I've been traveling, that courage for me has really been um, necessary in reaching out and staying connected to people in the program. I, I really tend to keep to myself. I feel like... You know, my problems are my problems. Everybody has theirs. And so being away from my meeting has really forced me to, you know, get some courage and call somebody when I'm in the hamster cage driving home, reeling about whatever happened that day or what I have to do still that night. And I think that it applies to every step of the program. It takes courage to admit that you want to better yourself and that there's things about your behavior that you're not proud of and want to change. Uh, it takes courage to put yourself out there and connect with other people in the program. And I guess mostly it takes courage to really look at yourself. And I think that, you know, once you're able to start doing those things and you start to feel more courageous in your recovery, um, you know, really beautiful things can come to you. And I've found that, you know, when I do do the right thing or admit my wrongs to myself or someone else, or, you know, even something so simple as recognize that I'm in the hamster cage and I'm obsessively thinking or I'm developing resentment or I've created expectations that are frustrating me.
0: Thank you, Ellie, for that share. And I know you got cut off in the middle of it. There were some great examples in there. Thank you. Suzanne sent an email. Spencer, it has been quite a while since I've written, but please know I listen to your podcast at least two or three times per week. Thank you for your service. When I saw that your upcoming topic was courage, I knew I had to write. Here's my sharing from last week's meeting. Please use it as you see fit. I believe this is another example of divine intervention in my life. I grew up in a crazy family. In high school, my friends knew my mother was crazy, so they were there when I needed a shoulder to whine on. A good friend shared with me that his father was an alcoholic and that his mother attended Al-Anon while he attended Alateen. But alcohol was not apparent in my family, so I did not understand the family disease of alcoholism. The disease ruled my family of origin and my first husband, and courage to change never appeared. When I was a child, my father told me that sometimes you have to walk alone to do the right thing. So I made a geographical move of 2,000 miles with the intention to protect my future children from experiencing the craziness of the family disease. But alcoholism is a cunning disease, and it was not until it drove my second husband, my child's father, into violent madness that I crawled across the doors into Al-Anon. I attended a fundraiser last weekend. As I listened to the speakers, I was overwhelmed with the large amount of courage they had in living their recovery on a daily basis. I identified with the Al-Anon speaker as he shared it was in Al-Anon meetings that he was alone no more. My adult children and I often have discussions about this disease and its effects on our family. They are always surprised when I remind them to credit themselves with their great courage in committing and living in recovery. Many of us as children had superheroes, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, etc. My definition of superheroes has changed. Those persons who first cross the doors into Al-Anon and continue to commit on a daily basis are the real superheroes. They have refused to allow alcoholism to control them through fear, but instead have reached into their souls for the courage needed in recovery. Say hooray to all the superheroes who continue in Al-Anon recovery every day. Blessings to you, Suzanne. Thank you, Suzanne. After a short break, we will continue with our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 220, is by The Killers. It's their song, "Rut," And this, to me, speaks to the courage to start to make a change, the courage to be in the change process and to be saying to your loved ones, don't give up on me, I'm I'm working on it. But don't give up on me, because I'm just in a rut. I'm climbing, but the walls keep stacking up. I can't keep pretending this nest up isn't mine. The truth is on the table and someone's got a sign. I've done my best defending, but the punches are starting to land. I'm sliding into something you won't understand. Don't give up on me because I'm just in a rut. I'm climbing, but the walls keep stacking up. I love that the chorus there with the walls keep stacking up echoes that vision in the first reading that Michelle shared of being at the bottom of a well and trying to climb out and the end of the song is about climbing. I'm just, I'm climbing, I'm climbing, I'm climbing. Oh, and I wanted to also say that I heard about this song and about the, the meaning behind the song, where the song came from in a podcast called song exploder in which each episode, an artist takes apart their song and talks about how it came to be, how they put it together, sometimes what it means. As I was listening to the episode about this song, "Rut," I thought that's a perfect song for the Courage episode. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. I just want to relate a story from a meeting I was at recently. The topic of the meeting was step four, which is the searching and fearless moral inventory. One of the people at the table related a time when he was feeling depressed, and his therapist asked him to write a list of positive attributes that he had, one for every year of his life, which was 68 at the time. And he thought, there's no way I can think of 68 good things about myself. But he was given the assignment, so he He went home and he did it and he came back for the next group therapy and the therapist said, I want you to go to everybody, each person in the circle and read one of your positive attributes to that person. He said there were 30 or 40 people in the circle. So that was a lot of positive things he was saying about himself. And he said it made a real difference in the way he felt about himself first to make the list and then to read it out loud. That's one of the one of the things that we are asked to do in our inventory in this program, is to not only look at our character defects of which we are sure we have many because the other people in our lives have told us all of our faults for so long, but we also look at our, our assets, our strengths. And I wonder, step five says admitted the exact nature of our wrongs to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. And I wonder how much more powerful that could be for us if we also admitted the exact nature of our strengths. Because I know for me, that's difficult. It feels like bragging, like false pride something, and it's not. It's, it's a realistic inventory of the, the good and the not-so-good. So take that home with you and maybe give it a try for yourself. Diana shared a little bit of her experience, strength and hope.
3: Diana here. My new thing is be comfortable in your own skin, spend quality time with yourself and pouring into your own soul, cultivating and discovering who you really are, who you really are away from your family, from your partner, from your children, from whatever you think your identity is. Of course, that's. I'm not saying exit or walk away from your family, but but understand who you are. And I think that I grew up in a really dysfunctional home, and so I was very codependent. And I had this idea about who I was in my 20s. I was always on stage. I was... Very artistic, and I think those are pieces to me, but everybody saw me as being very extroverted. And when I began to go through this process of therapy and cultivating, discovering who I am, what do I really like apart from you, and validating my own, you know, my own situation, it really shocked me to find out that I was very introverted, that I loved and craved being alone, and that I felt. Restored, sitting at home in the solace and the quiet reading a book that I discovered that I'm analytical and I like to understand things and I like to learn and that I have a passion for learning and intelligence that's really important to me. And the thing is, is when you go through this journey, it's like when you change, your whole world changes around you. And it is such it is such a vast change that's really hard to articulate. Because when you're coming out of dysfunction, you really don't know what normal is and you just take a grasp at what normal could possibly be. And When you begin to go through therapy and discover, well, this is what I really like and this is who I really am and and kind of setting the boundaries and the lines for yourself of what what is healthy, because I think some of these things are subjective. I mean, clearly, it's like a circumference circle, you know, for each of us, we might have boundaries that work for us and for other people, it might not work for them. Maybe our boundaries are too rigid for another person. You know, it's, it's what we decide. And when I began that journey, it, was, um, it kind of changed my relationships and the definitions and everything because I would be in relationship and connection with people based on what they could do for me because I had some deficit and I believed that, that there was a hole and a character flaw within myself. So I needed these people to do parent replacement or um, be my therapist or, you know, take me to the next level in my career because somehow I was incapable. But then when I began to really work on myself and realize, oh my goodness, that there is a true imbalance going here of reciprocity where people see that desperation and they prey upon it, whether they realize it or not. And so people like that are very much taken advantage of. And there is a victimization that does occur in those kind of relationships. It's like you just have this beacon or radar and you like, you know, use me, use me. And once you get a a backbone and a spine and you realize I don't need anybody, I am fine by myself, God has made me to be complete and whole exactly as I am, and you learn to love exactly who you are, even if the world says that it's not the cool thing to do, like, I'm cool with being a nerd, I'm cool with being introverted, like, whatever, then this this beautiful thing occurs where you suddenly are who you are in all its beauty, and you attract people who love exactly who you are. And there is a beauty that occurs in the relationships back and forth in that it's no longer based on what i can do for you and what you can do for me or this unspoken nonverbal communication of you know i'm using you to further my career and you're going to be my replacement dad and maybe you can build my self esteem up and i can piggyback off of you and and that weird thing that happens that nobody really outright says but that is what's happening in relationships and you start to step into into the healthy thing and I will say having experienced years and years of dysfunction and then stepping into you know health and pursuing after therapy and all these things it's like now I can spot it a mile away and now I can see it so clearly I can look on a person and study them and their character and say dad issues mom issues they want me to stroke their self esteem and confidence and you can just tell what is healthy versus what is dysfunctional there's a whole thing to this where obviously i've had people mentor me and be there for me you know throughout this journey and we all kind of help each other i think the best way we can help each other is honestly by being as free as we can ourselves and being that example but um because when we start to step into like helping others that can get weird quick because that's for them to figure out and like i said that's their definition not ours But um, then you start to get into like, this is, I can't believe that I went through that. And I actually thought that was healthy back there. Wow. That relationship was so weird. I was expecting this and they were expecting this and we were playing these weird roles. Right. And then you step into this other place where now you have self-esteem and you're cool with who you are and you are exactly precisely who you are unapologetically. And then people are like, I like you. I like you exactly as you are. I don't want to change a thing about you. What a change. <laughs> Does anybody vibe with what I'm saying right there? It's like, I don't ever want to go back. You know, I'm continuing to work on myself and my relationships and making sure things are healthy because it's it's a whole new world that opens up to us. It's like we were made to be whole people on our own. And speaking, you know, I'm somebody who got married in, in my teens. I'm still with him, and so that can, that a lot, I can speak to. There's a big side of codependency sometimes when you get married really young because you're you're coming together and figuring it out. And um, you know, there's pros and cons to to both. Honestly, getting married older and getting married young, but that isn't really the point. But um, you know, it's just. We're, we're figuring it out, we're, we're moving toward health, and we're trying to, you know, I guess, go in that direction as much as we can and, and attract that kind of vibe to our life. And like I said, the best example we can be in motivating others to change is by showing them in demonstration, not by, you know, pushing them or forcing them or manipulating them, but just saying, I'm going to do me, I'm going to be free. And, you know, if you're inspired by that, great. And if not, great, whatever. So anyway, it's my thoughts. Thanks for letting me share.
0: Thank you, Diana. Upcoming topics include parenting. The original suggestion for the topic of parenting was, how can recovery help me as an adult child of an alcoholic be a parent who doesn't pass those patterns on to my children? I think that's my interpretation of that original question. So parenting as the adult child of an alcoholic, Really great topic, not one I can contribute to. There's some alcoholism in my family, and I've picked up some patterns. So maybe I could contribute a little, but I'd rather hear from you. And if you'd like to contribute to that episode, please call or email. The other side of parenting is parenting of a child who is alcoholic or addict. And we've done that in the past, but it is a great topic with lots of depth that we can come back to. We welcome your thoughts. You can join our conversation. You can still leave us a voicemail or send us an email on the topic of courage, on the topic of the three Ps. We'd love to have you join our conversation. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795 if you want. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. There's different levels of joining our conversation. You can leave a short voicemail. You can send an email. You can do, as Michelle did today, we had a conversation for about 20 minutes. All of the methods of contacting us are on the website at therecovery.show slash contact. Or go to therecovery.show, tap or click in the menu on the top of the page on the context, contact us link. And there you find all that information. Also on the website, you can find notes for each episode. Um, you can play the episode directly from the website. Maybe that's what you're doing now. And if you are, maybe, especially if you have a smartphone, you might want to subscribe because that way you'll get each new episode automatically downloaded to your phone as it's published. There is a subscribe button link in the menu at the top of the page. Just click or tap there to find out how to subscribe on your particular device. We'll take a short break before looking at the mailbag. And the second musical selection, also available on the website, is Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. This is a song about finding courage to make a change, to reach out and do something, stretch out and do something. Can the child within my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Well, I've been afraid of changing because I built my life around you. But time makes you bolder. Even children get older, and I'm getting older too. Thank everybody who wrote or called in this week. Emily sent us an email. She writes, Spencer, I have so many things that I want to share, and I'm just not sure the three-minute limit on the voice message will cut it today. First, I would be happy to contribute to an episode on parenting. Obviously, you know that I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, but I also have a five-year-old daughter, and I feel so fortunate to have found recovery while she is young, but can absolutely relate to Emily's voicemail and share about that rigid control of her child and that struggle with parenting and control. I didn't know until I came into Al-Anon when my daughter was three years old and my alcohol-ravaged marriage was unraveling that I was so exhausted because I had spent my whole life trying to control everything and everyone. Another topic that I wanted to propose is the acronym JADE, Justify, Argue, Defend, Explain. I have found this to be one of my character defects, particularly when somebody expresses a feeling to me that is about me I've a tendency to try to explain away their feeling with no, your feeling is wrong because of this and this and this. Last, for now, I wanted to say that I really appreciate the open talks. My higher power really has a sense of humor. About a month and a half ago, I was doing some step work with my sponsor, and she casually mentioned that I could start giving my Al Anon lead if asked. I gagged. Less than two weeks later, I was at an open AA speaker meeting, and I was asked to give my lead at the end of October. I said, Let me ask my sponsor. I turned a quarter of a turn and asked my sponsor if i could speak at the end of october and after about a half a second she said yep so i made it through september without obsessing but october hasn't been so lucky the open talks helped give me something to go on as we have very few al-anon speaker opportunities in my city thank you for your service emily and two different emily's going on here emily talking about emily's voicemail ali called and left another voicemail
2: This is Allie again from New York. I just wanted to say on this topic of the three Ps, I mean, I didn't ever realize why I procrastinated so much, I think, until I listened to that podcast and finally, you know, the light all went off and I was like, oh, my God, that's me. That's exactly it. (laughs) So I just wanted to say thank you and, you know. I think that the topics go hand in hand, at least for me. I have to find the courage to take uh, my perfectionism and shove it down and actually not procrastinate and do what I need to do and have the courage to submit it to someone, to ask someone for help, just ask someone to review it or to just post it or send it into my boss, whatever the situation may be. And that takes a lot of courage for me because of my perfectionism, because of my insecurities, uh, my unrealistic expectations often. So, you know, I think that listening to your podcast of the three P's and following up with the topic of courage is just really enlightening and I really appreciate everything you do and all the topics that you share. It really has been such an incredible guiding light for me in my crazy morning commute. So thank you so much again. Um, okay. Bye.
0: Thanks Allie for, for sharing your experience, strength and hope around the three P's. A listener wrote, saying I've been looking for the Al Anon Blueprint for Progress, the Four Step Workbook, as an ebook. I couldn't find it on the Recovery Show website nor on Amazon. I wrote back and said the only Al Anon ebooks that I'm currently aware of are How Al Anon Works, the the Blue Book, The Courage to Change, Daily Reader, The Forum magazine is now available electronically, at least for Kindle. I've been downloading those because it's really nice to just have it with me at any time. And also there's an ebook called having had a spiritual awakening, which is not exactly a daily reader. It has a bunch of short readings in it, which is also, it's a, it's a good book, but there's a bunch of al literature that has not made it to ebook format yet. And I think the blueprint for progress is one of those that would make a great ebook. If you had it in a form where you could type your answers in, because it is workbook, that would be awesome. or, you know, just have the questions and write the answers in a in a separate journal. I guess that works too. But unfortunately not currently available as it to the best of my knowledge. I will put a link in the show notes for this episode at the recovery.show slash two twenty to the page. I think there's a page on the Alan website that lists their ebooks. I'm not a hundred percent positive of that. But if there is one, I'll put it in. I'll put a link in. There's also I can put in a link to the Amazon page that lists all of the e-literature available from Al-Anon. Uh, there is some repetition in there, but that that may be a useful resource. So I'll, I'll put that link in as well. Lisa sent a short email saying, thanks for the show, and how can I donate? Well, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, as you know. That's why she wants to donate, right? Which run about $60 a month. And so there's a donation button on the website. I think it says donate. If you're on your computer, it's just on the right-hand side of the screen near the top of the page. If you're on a mobile device, a phone, or probably a tablet, it's near the bottom of the page. It's not all the way to the bottom, but it's very near the bottom of the page. And I'm thinking, maybe I should put that in the menu at the top, because it'll be easier to get to. So we do have that donate button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Matthew did. And thank you, Matthew. And we have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. And if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. I heard from somebody that they think actually if you click on that link, that anything you do in the next 24 hours might um, give us a commission. I'm not positive about that. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening. We are here for you. The last song selection seems, I don't know, sort of obvious when I stumbled across it. Yeah, it was obvious, but I had to stumble across it. It's from The Wizard of Oz. The title is If I Only Had the Nerve. It's sung by Burt Lahr and cast. And you can listen to it with also a little film clip from The Wizard of Oz at therecovery.show slash 220. Yes, it's sad, believe me, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the vim and verve. But I could change my habits, never more be scared of rabbits if I only had the nerve. I'm afraid there's no denying I'm just an awful dandelion, a fate I don't deserve. But I could show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. It's the Cowardly Lion, right? Okay, so he wants courage. And he discovers, of course, in the story, he discovers that he actually does have courage. He just didn't know it. (laughs) ¶¶ Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. And understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time.